0: Results in pre-season tours should be taken with a grain of salt. The games are an opportunity for coaches to tinker, players to gain match sharpness, and let's face it, for clubs to milk their international fan bases too. But when a middling MLS side hammers Premier League opposition, questions will be asked. So what can Everton's capitulation in St. Paul tell us about what's to come in the 22-23 EPL season? Will the Toffees get sucked into another relegation fight? I'm joined by James Benj to discuss whether or not this is a storm in a teacup, or if this is a sign of things to come. Kegoleso begins right now. Today's Kegoleso episode is presented by Gillette Clear Gel Antiperspirant. For those who don't like to sweat, the choice is clear. Gillette is your ticket to all-day freshness. Gillette, the best a man can get. James Benj, delighted to have you on. How are you doing, my friend?
1: I am. I'm great talking about Gillette and talking about sweating. As you will know, we've been going through the ultimate European heat wave, hottest temperatures London and the UK have ever recorded. So, uh, my deodorant has certainly been getting a you know, thorough testing. But I think we're kind of through the worst of it now and uh, laser focused on the, the start of the new season in Fortnite or something.
0: Yeah, fingers crossed. Uh, certainly not sure that I've ever known uh, temperatures that high in my lifetime in the UK. Uh, but I'm sure that the British public were lapping it up uh, and getting themselves nice, <laughs> nice and, nice <laughs> and roasted. Before to we public. start
1: talking about the football, if people need to find this on Twitter, there is a video of a man having a swim in his recycling bin. It's funny, and someone goes, "Why are you <laughs> swimming in a bin?" And he's just like, "It's I'm enjoying the best weather Britain's ever had."
0: Well, speaking of, of bins. bins speaking of bins, we're not actually scraping the bin in terms of uh, pre-season content, given that we have this thrashing of from Minnesota United over Everton. Uh, we've got Tom Davies' interview coming out this Saturday, so keep an eye out on that. But for Everton, you know, this result was preceded by a 2-0 loss to Arsenal. Uh, are alarm
1: bells ringing, James, do you think? I think they're sort of like you know when you're if you're like laid low in bed or you're particularly wealthy like mr burns would have that little bell that he would tingle in the simpsons um it's that level it, it, this isn't you know five alarm fire yet and you know maybe we'll come on to talk about that but i think you know we have to kind of remember that for all the excitement that the end of the season engendered at everton you know, there was this brilliant unity um on Merseyside and a sense of purpose, a, a real connection between the manager, the players and the supporters. We do have to remember that it's still a team that finished 16th. And that was because of some pretty remarkable games and some pretty remarkable performances by Richarlison. And he's now moved on to Tottenham. So we're talking about a team that just about survived and has now lost its best player. You know, this is normally a recipe for concern anyway. I thought the Minnesota United game, bits of it were just a bit freaky, like, Tom Davies, who we're going to have an interview, as you say, on Saturday. Pretty unlucky that a penalty was given against him. Um, Michael Keane as well, an own goal. You never know where those sorts of clearing tackles go. I should say, before interviewing Tom Davies, it was Michael Keane. So any Everton players that wish to have a successful run of games, don't speak to me. You don't want to speak to me. It's bad for your career if we chat. Um, The one thing I would say, and intrigued to get your take on this as well, JJ, I thought... You know reading what Everton journalists as well said and, and people that know the club they've been crying out for this six to sit in front of the back three back four, whatever it is for such a long time, and they were saying, "Look, a lot of the pressure and a lot of the goals from Minnesota came from the fact that there was no one shielding the defense They don't have that they've got a lot of midfielders players like Decore as well that are talented but aren't you know more comfortable going up and down the pitch rather than sitting so <laughs> I'm a bit worried that they've got to replace Richarlison and find that six. What about, what about yourself?
0: Yeah, I mean that's a it, it's an interesting one. But I also think when you look at the makeup of the of the squad, you know they they have some options now who they're going to be almost forced to sort of uh, you know play around with or at least you know try and consider their future with. You know we we know that they had Donny Van der Beek as well on loan last season. He's now gone back to United. But when you look at the, the, the squad, I mean, at least at this moment in time, you know, you still have players like Gbaman, uh, you know, who was uh, out on a, a badly timed loan with uh, CSK Moscow. Uh, you know, he's now back and sort of has been working his way to towards fitness, uh, you know, and you also have the the, the ghostly presence of uh, Andre Gomez as well, you know, who was very highly rated a couple of years ago, uh, you know, and obviously suffered that awful injury. So I do think that there are options for, for Lampard to explore, but also at the same time, you know, there is definitely a pressing need for them to go into the transfer market and try and strengthen this squad. Yet, I wonder now how many players are looking at Everton when Everton come, uh, you know, and express an interest in them and perhaps are not convinced, uh, you know, by the project and not really wanting to get involved in what could be uh, another relegation fight. I mean, you look at some of the players they picked up recently, Deli uh, you know, a good case in point, dreadful miss uh, against Minnesota. And although we can't, you know, completely hammer players, uh, you know, for, for preseason form, you know, his decline both with Spurs and then with Everton as well you know it has been quite alarming now you know that we can look at in in an individual way in a minute but you know sort of across the across the board generally this Everton squad is is almost now a, a mismatch uh, of players, you know, who have sort of, you know, dropped off massively. Uh, you know, yes. Okay. Have a point to prove, but you know, are majorly low on confidence and that is not good. I don't think when you've just come out of a, a really bitter relegation battle that they managed to survive by the skin of their teeth almost. I mean, for you, do, do you really think that the kind of quality uh, of additions that Everton would need, uh, you know, to 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 improve on last season's uh, finish, you know, are actually going to want to consider going to Goodison Park at this moment in time, especially when there's you know a lack of certainty as well about the club's future as a whole.
1: You've hit the nail on the head there. Prime example of this: Armando Broyer, you know, this really talented young striker had a great season on loan at Southampton, and it basically came down to, from what I'm told, Everton or West Ham three, four years ago. That's not a debate. Uh, he'd go to Everton. Three, four years on, now, it's not a debate. You go to West Ham. And, you know, that that materialised very quickly. And I think that would be the case with a lot of players. Look, Everton has become a place to go to decline. And we can run through the list of players here. You know, Wayne Rooney came on his decline. Abdoulaye Dekouré as well. Deli Ali, as you say, it's a prime example. You know, Everton can't be a place for rehabilitating reputations and Donny van der Beek and getting back into form. It doesn't work more often than not. You know, how many players would you say have improved since making big money moves to Everton? I think, you know, there are, I I like James Tarkovsky as an, as an addition. Obviously he's played with Michael Keane and played very well together a long time back ago at at, um, Burnley. You know, they've got good defensive quality And I think one thing I would feel reasonably confident in is their ability to maybe shut up shop if that's what Lampard wants to do when it comes to Premier League games. But as you say, you know, Everton are going to need to rethink the way they recruit. Same, I actually, I thought Mikalenko, as much as it was a big risk to lose Luca Dina, your top chance creator from left-back to Villa, I thought from Everton's perspective, kind of cashing in on him before he got too old, bringing in Vitaly mikolenko I thought that was a really smart move. I think there's lots of things they could do like that. The tough thing is, you've, you know, under the Machiri, Fahad Mashiri regime, you've paid big wages to get people that are names, you know, Alan, Decore, all these players, so hard to move on because they're not doing well. We have this at the other end of the table with teams like Arsenal, uh, Manchester United, and even to an extent Chelsea. Who wants the players that aren't good enough for them? Well, uh, you know, on those top wages. Well, who on earth wants the players that aren't good enough for Everton? Um, you know, that are also on hugely inflated wages that not every team in the Premier League would pay. It's kind of it's going to be long and it's going to be tough. They need to come up with over the next few weeks. They need to add that six that Lampard wants. They need to get a really versatile striker. It's interesting seeing him talking in the interviews out there about how they need to basically replace Richarlison with someone that can play two or three positions up top. These are real tough asks when, like you say, it is not immediately obvious that players are, are banging on their agents' doors going, get me to Goodison Park. It's going to have to come from Europe. It's going to have to be top scouting operations. and Maybe just hope as well that there are three teams in the Premier League that are worse than you and that you can kind of take time. And I, As much as there are a lot of doubts about Lampard, the other thing I'd say is, if you think he's good enough, just try to hold your nerve because the last thing you need is another managerial change. We we're talking to Tom Tom Davies here and he's obviously not criticising his club, but he's 24 years old, he's been in the club seven years and he was saying, I've had seven managers. You know, this is not sustainable and they need to do something long-term, build with younger players and kind of get back to a bit of Everton identity. We'll see. And, you know, I worry that tough start to the season against Chelsea... I'm starting to worry for them as much as the players are old telling it's great and there's a good atmosphere from last season.
0: Yeah, well, I'm glad that you mentioned sort of the youth aspect because, you know, there are some rays of hope for Everton fans right now. I mean, you look at the emergence of Anthony Gordon, somebody who you would expect, uh, you know, to be one of the, the the key components of this Everton side going forward. Uh, I mean, something as well, uh, you know, that happened over the course of last season and not just the change that brought in Lampard was the departure of Marcel Brands. Uh, as director of football and the introduction of Kevin Thelwell. I mean, do you think that this is a moment now where Thelwell really has to sort of stamp his authority on it? Because if I recall correctly, he came back, came in back in spring. So this is actually his first transfer window that he's had sort of, you know, at the, uh, at the controls of the, uh, of the Everton transfer machine, so to speak.
1: Yeah. And I mean, interesting, I believe as well, he'd worked more on the academy side of Wolves. So maybe that's kind of talking to your point. And, you know, like you say, Gordon is he's the sort of the the sort of player you want at Everton. Don't forget you're sitting on a hotbed of talent. You know, one of the great talent spots in English football is around Merseyside. And you know, in a counterintuitive way, when Liverpool are so good, kind of the players that can't make the grade at Liverpool, if you're willing to take them, you can find some real quality there. Um and there is there are really good young players. By all accounts, Stanley Mills, young right wing back, he's been getting rave reviews for his performances in pre-season. And, you know, they are still, whatever year we are into the Seamus Coleman experience, they are still looking for a player to rival him. And, you know, I think building around, I think, you know, it helps when clubs really understand who they are, how they connect with their fan base, because we see so in so many clubs last season how that can be a propulsive force. Understanding a real sense of identity, you know, Everton are not going to be a, Manchester City, you know, they, I think they have always been at their best, certainly in the Premier League era when they are a team of hard-working, hard-grafting, organised players who have talent up the other end of the pitch. But it, it starts with organisation, discipline and being hard to break down. I think Back
0: back, it, back in the days when Jolene Nescott was a serious player. Oh,
1: <laughs> and that, that's, a, you know, the glory day. Late, yeah, Leighton Baines outside him, big Marouane Fellaini with the best chest in Europe. You know, I mean, obviously, you don't want to kind of just try and re, uh, re Phil Neville's frosted tips. Um, you don't want to kind of rehash all that. And I think if I were uh, in charge of a football club, the first thing I'd do is keep Phil Neville a long way away from it. But I think kind of really understanding what it is that will make Everton successful, what it is that you want your identity to be, and you could completely change it and say, look, you know, we're starting from the ground up. We're going to be the Barcelona of the Premier League. But you've just got to be consistent right the way through. You know, this is a squad that's been built to serve the needs of Marco Silva, Sam Analyse, Carlo Ancelotti, whoever you want to name. You need a squad that is not built for managers. It's built for the club and built to develop over the long haul. But like, you've got to balance that with you also need hundreds of millions of pounds that Premier League football brings you that's why it's really hard to do what they're going to have to do, but they've got to do it. And they've got to get it right.
0: Yeah. I mean, you mentioned as well, uh, the importance of deciding whether they're going to stick with Lampard or not. I mean, I think it would be ludicrous, uh, you know, a kamikaze move at this stage to, to sort of be thinking about axing Lampard, uh, you know, with the, the season just about uh, upon us, you'd have to assume that he's going to be given a couple of months to, you know, see how the team start the season. And if it looks like it's going to re- be a repeat of last campaign, you know, perhaps he'll be, uh, you know, in, in, in troubled waters come sort of the end of the year. But there, I think there has to be some sort of blueprint. And, you know, if we're looking at Lampard's career as a manager so far, uh, you know, perhaps we're best off not looking at what happened with Chelsea, but actually looking at what he managed to achieve with Derby, uh, you know, and how he actually got, you know, sort of the best out of them before Derby, unfortunately, uh, you know, suffered the the ignominy of of dropping into, into league one in very testing uh, financial circumstances. And obviously Rooney, uh, you know, ended up sort of making his early steps in the, the managerial world in that difficult environment. But I think for Lampard, you know when you've got somebody uh, you know like a like a Gordon and you've got some young talent still coming through I don't think it's necessarily as bleak as it should seem. Uh, you know, right now, like you were saying, there's a, there's a lot of young talent there to, to be worked with. And if Thelwell, you know, really has sort of made his reputation so far in dealing with youth academies and bringing young players through, then, you know, perhaps that should be some source of optimism for Everton fans, as well as the possibility that there might be a takeover somewhere on the horizon sometime soon. You've got this shiny new stadium that's, you know, sort of looming in the, in the distance as well. So, you know, perhaps... You know, this is if if Lampard can you know start to, to to get some of these players to wake up to take a bit of responsibility. You know, you look at some of the the, the more prestigious names in that squad right now. Alan, I know I know that he's been an absolute disaster. Uh, you know, since arriving from uh, from Napoli, but somebody who. I saw in the flesh a couple of years ago in the Champions League, and he was absolutely bawling, so I don't think that there's necessarily all of these players who are you know at the ends of their career I mean he's only what thirty one I think he certainly got a couple of years left you know, maybe the Premier League is not the best fit for him, but, uh, you know, I still think that he has, you know, something to give, Uh, you know, and players like these, you know, I don't think it would be unreasonable for Lampard to be demanding more from them, uh, you know, a greater level of consistency and sort of more coherency on the pitch. And then when you look, uh, you know, at some of the other players who have a lot of Premier League experience, Andros Townsend's, uh, you know, surely, uh, you know, Everton should be capable of keeping themselves away from that relegation battle.
1: I don't know. I think it's also, it's really tough. I, I get when we're talking about Lampard as well, I find his career very tough to assess just yet. You know, the Derby job was good, but he had a very expensively assembled squad and he was getting the best of Chelsea sent his way. I think Chelsea, his job was, his job in the first season was possibly underrated. Um, but obviously, you know, he, he struggled, as I think many would, kind of putting together a, a team from the, the players he was given and we've seen that you know even Thomas Tuchel finds it hard to to build the squads that are, are given to him in a convincing fashion but you know one thing that he, he can connect with players and an awful lot of you know the the youngsters that have worked with him players grew up admiring him and he can teach them a lot and I think he's obviously surrounded himself with very talented coaching staff as well, people that know the game um, from his time at Chelsea, not least Ashley Cole. Uh, like it's a, but, you know, I think you really do have to back him, almost to the extent of being willing to say, it's so tough. It's The, the, the point is, well, even when you're kind of talking this through in, his, in your head, you kind of think, well, you know, maybe if, if he has to be the one to take them down and bring them back up, maybe that's whatever to need. You know this is the it, that's a doomsday scenario for the the stadium, for the club, the finances. It's not like it was sort of even 10, fifteen years ago where sometimes the best thing for a team is relegation. You know, Everton are not set up for that equally. the whole problem they've had is short-termism. you can't and I think this is a really hard needle to thread um you know I, I hope our editor Mike Goodman isn't listening to this because i it feels really bleak. And it shouldn't because, as you say, there's, there's talented players. I mean, if they can just get Dominic Calvert-Lewin back to his old self, if Anthony Gordon kicks on, you know, like you say, if Alan, if Alan sort of is 80% of the player he was at Napoli, good players across that team, but you know, there's good players in every Premier League team now. So it's going to be tough. And I don't know what I think about them, which is a fiddly one, because I know we've got to eventually come on to talk about who we think is going to get relegated. <sighs>
0: Yeah, absolutely. Well, we don't want to upset the Carlo Ancelotti of the editorial world, Mike Goodman, our uh, our, our dear commander in chief on the written side of things. So, uh, you know, unfortunately, a lot of that is very familiar uh, to me as a Villa fan, having seen Villa suffer pretty much exactly what we've seen been playing out with Everton for the last couple of years now. Fingers crossed it doesn't get as grim, uh, you know, for them as it did for Villa. But, uh, you know, they do still have time to turn it around uh, this coming season. The soccer calendar knows no breaks, so it's always all systems go here on Kegolas, so staying on top of the global game is an all-day gig, and then there's the added stress of being a helplessly loyal fan who obsesses over every minor detail concerning my club. Throw in on top of that the studio lights, the public speaking, the breaking news, and there's a recipe for perspiration. But nuh-uh, not for yours truly. Fortunately for me, sweat and bad odours are two things I never have to worry about. Thanks to the long-lasting power of Gillette Clear Gel Antiperspirant, I can get on with my day, which mainly involves staying on top of the latest Aston Villa news and telling myself that it is strictly for work purposes only without even breaking a sweat. Gillette Clear Gel Antiperspirant goes on with an anti-white mark formula and protects your nostrils from those nasty under armpit smells while giving you 72-hour sweat protection if you want all-day freshness The choice is Clear Gillette. Clear gel antiperspirant is a tap-in. Call to arms, get your Gillette clear gel antiperspirant at a store near you. All right, James, well, like you said before, uh, we're going to delve into the relegation fight now, looking at some of the newly promoted teams uh, and whether or not we're going to see the likes of Everton scrapping for survival once again. So let's start with the teams coming up from the championship. So you've got Nottingham Forest, Bournemouth, Fulham. Off the straight off the bat, do you think any of the three have done enough so far in the transfer window to make you confident that they're going to stay up? Obviously, Forrest, I think, probably the busiest out of uh, you know most of the Premier League teams so far. Let alone the three that have come up.
1: Every time you like, every time you just look away for a minute, Forrest have signed someone else, and these these are really good players. I'm just looking at the list now. So I'll, I'll throw you some highlights: Dean Henderson on loan from Manchester United. We've seen a really good goalkeeper. Taiwo Ouyumi and Musa Nikate, both from the the Bundesliga. Omar Richards as well. Nico Williams is fantastic. They've just brought in uh, Harry Toffolo and Lewis O'Brien, really good players from Huddersfield. And as we're talking, they are in talks with Jesse Lingard. It's brilliant, isn't it? Except I don't know about you, Jonathan, but I'm trying to think of the last time a, a team, newly promoted team, was so roundly praised for their acquisitions. And my mind goes back to, you remember that first time of the third, and we're now on the third, the first time Fulham came back to the Premier League and they were picking up Jean-Michel Seri, who'd been linked with Arsenal, and they were picking up, you know, every name you could come to, Sergio Rico as well, I want to say, correct me if I'm wrong, you know, superstar goalkeepers, superstar Yeah, ju-
0: ju- dubious as it is to praise any team for signing Sergio Rico. Yeah.
1: <laughs> what would they say? But we, we, you know, particularly in England, we go, oh they've got a goalkeeper from PSG you must be decent how little we knew Um, (laughs) what one one of their nine senior goalkeepers Zambo and as well who actually very good player but you kind of throw all these together in a cocktail and it was a disaster now you know I I know some people at Forest um and I um and I know they're very you know they will be very conscious of this and this, this will all have been carefully planned. You know, the senior people there will have had on the playoff final, they'll have had the plan for if they don't get promoted and the plan for if they do. And it's great to see this ambition. But, um, you know, you're asking a, a lot of a fantastic manager in Steve Cooper to get this all together quickly. I think it helps that these are signings that are being made now rather than in a month's time, which I think is something that happened a bit more with Fulham. Um, I mean, maybe we can go on to talk about the other two. In the end, it's probably better than, you know, I, we're, I'm going to criticise Brentford for not having done enough. I can't, you know, and I'm going to criticise Forrest for having done too much. And of course, the truth is there's a needle you can thread there and maybe Forest have. And certainly I think it's better to try too much than not enough. But I don't know about you. Does it feel like too much?
0: I don't know. I mean, it's a good question. Um, And obviously I have the experience of Villa coming back to the Premier League a few years ago to call upon. And that was a similar scenario, Mm. in fact, where there was was a flurry of moves, uh, you know, some sort of unexpected names, names where, you know, the experts you know, within those respective countries would be praised the players that Villa were targeting. And then when they actually put them together on the pitch, it took a long, long time to gel. Some players never sort of found a home at Villa Park. Uh, other players did impress, you know, have ultimately gone on, uh, you know, to become sort of part of the, the woodwork and are still sort of in the setup, uh, you know, that Gerard is now trying to, to make sense of heading into the current season. But at the end of the day, the, you know, Villa only secured their survival on pretty much the last day of the of the season after a really unexpected run of results. Uh, you know, and there was That's a period VAR. where we Yes. And dodgy VAR as well. Uh, You know, and there were periods where we were asking, you know, if that business had been sort of too much, you know, if too much had changed. And then you look at some of what's going on at Forrest at the moment. And I mean, I know that he wasn't maybe in his best form last season, but you've got guys like Joe Lolly, uh, you know, being pushed towards the door quite unceremoniously. I know there's been a lot of criticism of that, Uh, you know, so I I think there's a lot of different ways to look at it, but like you said, it it will be a challenge, you know, for for Cooper to get those players to gel, to get them performing, Uh, you know, and it's also going to be sort of, not uncharted territory for Forest but being back in the top flight after so long away it takes some getting used to i mean we see clubs you know across the continent big clubs sort of returning to you know the the Champions League the Europa League European football after years and years away that takes some getting used to so does going up a division especially when you're moving to the top tier uh, you know in yeah you know in your respective country so i think that it's going to be a challenge for Forest. I don't think necessarily because of this flurry of signings, we should expect them to be sort of suddenly knocking on the door of Europe in their first season. Good luck to them if, if they manage to pull that off. But I know from experience that you should probably be signing up for survival, even if it is on the last day, just to make sure that you can build on that for the following season.
1: Although Brentford, I mean, this is the, the, the county might make, is that, you know, we've got Bournemouth coming up, pretty known quantity in terms of their players, their manager, and they're not adding a huge amount. Fulham, same. But, you know, you could compare a Forest maybe to, if, they, if this recruitment is good, could they be a Brentford that come up and, you know, they've got a good manager. They don't fear it. They've been waiting for it. The city ground, like, I'm so excited. I've, I've never actually been at all. And I'm so excited for the first time I get to see a Premier League game there because you know that atmosphere will be something else and it will win them points early in the season. Maybe that's what they need. I mean, like you say, there's this balancing act between the new signings makes you think, well, it'll take time for them to gel. But like if they can just harness in those early weeks, if they can just harness this this sense of momentum that they built at the back end of last season, if the new players can buy into that, you know, they can they can fly out of the blocks. But um, I mean, I certainly feel more confident about them than I do about the other two. I mean, briefly to sort of hit on Fulham because, you know, I've been doing a little bit of reporting around some of the transfers there. It's been said kind of quite widely that uh, Marco Silva is not entirely happy with the business that's been done. You know, João Paulinho is fantastic signing, of course, uh, from uh, Sporting, and then Andreas Pereira, but they were getting thumped in midweek, I think, by Benfica, which did not go down too well. And, you know, I think there was an expect, or it's been reported there was an expectation from from Marco Silva that a lot more new players would be through the door. Um, Someone like Bernd Leno, it seems like there's a little bit of frustration on all sides that this deal isn't being done, especially from Leno and they need that sort of number one goalkeeper. I think he's someone they thought could improve him a lot. It's been over a month since they first initiated contact with Arsenal and no progress there. You know, these are like, the one thing we just said about Forrest, if you've got these players in early and you're working with them in pre-season, that's really going to suit you. I think Fulham need to improve a lot. It feels to me like with with Bournemouth that there may be of the view of, you know, they don't want to gamble too much. I think that, you know, their finances took a hit from relegation and maybe their view is to an extent that get, get back in there, build slowly, don't throw silly money at, at trying to stay up. And, you know, we've seen teams like Norwich and, and Fulham settle into the role of yo-yo teams. So, um, but yeah, Fulham is a is a really intriguing one because I know Tony Khan says we can't be a yo-yo team anymore. But if you're going to do that, you do need to build that Premier League quality squad, and time's ticking on it.
0: I mean, do you think the players who could potentially join Fulham, uh, you know, are looking at that at the moment, being well, judging by their last couple of seasons? you know, they've come back up to the Premier League. So logically, they're going to drop back down and then I'm going to have to face the following season fighting my way back up or maybe moving on somewhere else. Do you think that's perhaps behind some of the hesitancy from some of those players? Whereas Forrest, it seems like a lot of positive momentum has been built up and, you know, everybody just wants to be part of this project. And then you've also got Bournemouth who, you know, are perhaps, you know, wanting to stick to that sort of known quantity. Uh, approach where they know who they are they know the players that they've got and you know what they're capable of and reason that you know with just a few changes uh, you know they should have enough to to stay up
1: yeah I think with Fulham there can be a little bit of that I get the sense of a team you know and I'm not there week in week out so I, I certainly can't say for certain but I get the sense of a team that that maybe just sort of lacks that that core I mean you've got guys like Tom Kearney who's kind of the club captain. He's been there a very long time, was really key in getting them to the Premier League, but then seemed to drop in and out. I mean, Tim Ream, he's, you know, a very long serving, but I wouldn't expect him to start when they're in the Premier League. If he is, you know, it's probably not a great sign. So, so then you kind of end up with Mitro, love him. He can maybe is seen as a bit archetypal of, of Fulham too good for the championship, not quite good enough for the Premier League. But I think to an extent, maybe what they're lacking, and this is what we're talking about with Everton, is they kind of, the, the, the whole there's not quite a core and a defining thing at the centre of this club. That's why they're so unhappy about things like ticket prices, the supporters. I think that it's it just feels a bit like a bit of a vacuum that will get filled year in, year out, that may not have anything underlying them at the very bottom. And I think that's what I worry about with Fulham. All
0: right. Well, then if we're feeling sort of confident about Forest and a bit wary about Fulham, where does that place us for, uh, for, for Bournemouth, do you think?
1: Kits are nice. I do like the look of that kit. It's got <laughs> little lightning bolts. Uh, they've not added much of late. It's a good team, but um, I, don't, I don't look at them. I, I think at the moment they, do, they look like they're going to go down unless they can really strengthen over the next few weeks.
0: All right. The choice is clear. Presented by Gillette. Clear gel. So the, the the big important question, which three teams will clearly be relegated from the Premier League this season, James?
1: Oh, I was really hoping you'd go first on this. <laughs> Bournemouth is one and I, I think they'll, they'll be 20th for me. I think Fulham are going to fight hard and they wouldn't shock me if they stay up, but I think they'll go. <laughs> leaning towards Forest surviving. So that then leaves me with a big mass of teams. And you have to put Everton in that mix for the reasons we were discussing. They need to strengthen. I think the others, <sighs> Leeds, obviously, they just stayed up on the final day. And we have to say they've lost their two best players in Rafinha and Calvin Phillips but I really like the recruitment they've done, not just because it's so American. Brendan Aronson, Tyler Adams, Luis Sinistra. There's good players there. They've they've added a lot of quality. Um, Rasmus Christensen as well from Salzburg really played well in the Champions League when I've seen him. My wild card dark horse might just not quite make it. uh, Brighton. Losing Basuma is going to be a hit. I suspect, as we're talking now, City have had that first bid rejected for Kukurea. I think if they really want him, they'll get him. Um, they haven't quite solved that centre forward issue, and I always worry that there'll just be one season where the goals from elsewhere won't kind of make up for the absence of a of a really top striker. Um, ah, I you know I don't want to lose Brighton from the Premier League because it's a grand day out. It's always a uh, they're a great team. They've done things in the right way. They're my wild card. But I think at the moment, as we speak right now, on July the 21st, there's a long way to go, yeah, even in the transfer window before we get started, uh, my trio would be uh, Bournemouth, Fulham and Everton. What about you?
0: Yeah, that's, uh, I mean, it, it, it's a good shout. Um, I, do, I don't think I can disagree with you on Bournemouth and Fulham. Uh, Everton, I mean, I'll, tr- I'll try to stay positive about them for now because I know that there is potential in that team somewhere, uh, you know, for a decent gaggle of players to emerge and for them to just about stay up. I mean, I also think back to a couple of years ago as well when, you know, you had the example of Sheffield United who had that great first season and then really, really struggled, uh, you know, especially, unfortunately, for them after 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 the COVID restart. Um, and so I kind of wonder... Well, I, I kind um, of wonder if <laughs> I, I kind of wonder if Leeds have already sort of ridden that one out, uh, so, you know, having come so close last season.
1: I do think we should mention Brentford actually, because I hadn't really thought of them. But what we're forgetting is they lost a, an actual world class player, I would argue, who was one of the best creative players in the Premier League last season, and they will not get another player like him and when he joined you know there was they were sinking fast and then they eased to safety but they did it by having one of the best players in the premier league and unless kevin de bruyne really likes the brentford community stadium and i couldn't blame him like you know that's the level of player they need to find to replace ericsson so i i would throw i just thought that we should throw them into the mix as well
0: yeah, well, that's sort of what I was getting to that kind of level of uh, team. And, you know, Brentford, I don't think is is a bad shout. Uh, you know, obviously, we know how well run they are in terms of transfers and, you know, the way they look to logically structure themselves. Uh, you know, got a great manager as well. But sometimes it's not enough. And I'm not saying that Brentford are necessarily right here and now going to be the team that dropped down. But I do think that they're in for a tough season, Uh, you know, unless they can pull some rabbits out of the hat uh, late on in this transfer window and strengthen or potentially have a very good winter window. You know, we'll see how the first half of the season plays out. But for me, I think that Brentford could be sort of a dark horse to get sucked in there in the same way that you reckon that Brighton, you know, depending on their business and and potentially the way that they start the season, you know, could also be dragged into that fight. Uh, You know, I think... It's difficult to see too many other clear candidates. Uh, You know, maybe I'll be made to look stupid for thinking that Everton might be able to distance themselves from, uh, you know, that that, that pack of teams fighting to survive. But, you know, at Brentford at this moment in time, you know, I do think there is a lot to be said for finding it. A lot tougher the second time around, uh, you know, to really get yourself, pull yourself clear of uh, relegation. You know, there are very few teams that sort of manage to master the art of staying up in the way that Burnley did for so long before ultimately succumbing to it. So, you know, I don't think that there's any sort of magic formula aside from, you know, strengthening with really quality elements. And like you said, when you lose one, uh, you know, who has the potential to really be a cornerstone of the team, uh, you know, and to see him go, uh, you know, to one of the, the the leading lights of the league, well. Dubiously, we're calling them a leading light, Manchester United. Uh, it's yeah, obviously must be galling uh, for Brentford, and it's difficult to locate even in Europe. Uh, you know, looking at some of the smaller teams, you know, for a player who might want to, you know, make a move, make a springboard. You even got someone like Manor Solomon, uh, you know, you know, looking at Fulham, uh, you know, rather than a rather than a Brentford. So ultimately, I don't think it's necessarily clear between us. I mean, at least at least we're clear uh, on it being. Bournemouth and Fulham, uh, but you know who will be that uh, who who will be that third team? I think for me, I'm not going to be able to join you with Brighton or Everton. I'm going to go for Brentford at this moment.
1: I have to say, I think you've talked me round on them, and with a heavy heart, because the only thing I want in the Premier League is more teams from London. I I think it might be Brentford. I like that as a choice.
0: All right. Well, there you have it. The choice is clear. Bournemouth, Fulham and Brentford are our three picks here on the 21st of July. So well in advance of the Premier League starting and surely enough time for all three of them to prove James and I massive for sending them down this early so thanks very much for listening to kegola so please take a minute to nominate us for best sports podcast in the people's choice podcast awards link in the description we're on apple Podcasts, spotify stitcher anywhere you listen to podcasts we're also available as video so subscribe to us on youtube uh james any final thoughts before we sign off
1: I'm just really glad that no one has mentioned Arsenal as a potential relegation candidate <laughs> because three games into last season, people were definitely doing that plenty.
0: Yeah, well, fingers crossed. It's uh, going to look slightly more upbeat for you uh, this coming season and return to, uh, to to the Europa League beckons as well. We know how much you love that. So Indeed. something to look forward to, at least from, uh, from an Arsenal point of view. And Villa, grinding out the wins in uh, in Australia have got me uh, dreaming of uh, seventh place or better already in the Premier League. But we'll see We'll see if Steven Gerrard's master plan actually materializes into something on the pitch uh, or whether he was dependent on uh, Mr. Bill, who's now taking the QPR job all along. It'll be interesting viewing uh, either way. Anyway, thanks for joining me, James. Always a pleasure. And thank you, everybody, for tuning in. Until next time, it's goodbye from us.